Good to see all of you here. Glad you're here this morning. Glad you're joining us online as well. I'm going to grab your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 5 through 7 here in just a moment. Uh, just a programming note, immediately following services, there will be a, a potluck for the McHenrys. We'll be honoring the McHenrys today as they prepare for their move up north here in a couple weeks. And so, uh, looking forward to that, and uh, it looks like they've got a lot of good food already, and I'm sure many of you have already brought uh, side dishes, desserts, and things like that, so it's no doubt going to be a good time of celebration as we honor the McHenrys today. <laughs> I was, and I was thinking about, you know, Eric, uh, one of the things that uh, we do uh, often is we'll, we'll try to coordinate songs with a sermon. And sometimes, you know, it's a sermon like today where we're going to cover a text that deals with the blood of Christ. And so there's, I mean, we have, I mean, open the songbook and just about any song you pick will talk about the uh, blood of Christ. Other weeks, a little more difficult. Next week is, it might be one of those weeks because we're talking about propitiation. You know, we don't have too many good songs about, you know, propitiation turns God's wrath away, you know. So, good luck next week, Eric. Uh, <laughs> First John, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Hear now the word of the true and living God. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Let us pray. Father God, we need your help this morning, and we pray that we would put away all distractions from our hearts and our minds, so that we can see clearly what you have revealed by your Spirit about the blood of your Son, Jesus. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again, and it is through Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Last week, I talked a little bit about the religious climate into which John wrote this first epistle. And there were a lot of isms. I only covered four, even though there's a list of about ten or a dozen that I had with me. But those were sufficient, I believe, to show not just the, the religious and very tumultuous religious climate that John was writing into, but to make the connection to our day today where there's still a lot of religious confusion and uh, theological tumultuous discussion uh, about God, about His nature, and those sorts of things. John sets right to work in verse 5 to clearly put forward God in all of His glorious nature. It is connected to this message. This is the message that we proclaim. And, and that term there for message actually connects back uh, into verses 2 and 3 uh, with the 
the word there for proclaim. There's a, a linguistic connection there that can be lost in English for us, but John intends, he's intentional about what he is writing here. And so the message we proclaim, the message we message or the proclamation we proclaim is this. We've heard it from him, we declare it to you, God is light. This is the positive affirmation concerning the nature of God. And when, when John says that God is light, it is certainly true that in Scripture, you come across times where God is he's gloriously illuminous, so bright that you have to turn your eyes away. There are times like when Moses comes down from the mountain, where because he's been in the gloriously bright presence of God, his face glowed, you remember. And so there is a sense in which, yes, God is brilliantly bright, gloriously bright. That doesn't seem to be John's intention here, especially as he'll begin to make application for us and how we are not to walk in darkness or we are called to walk in the light. God is light, not a cosmic, physical luminary like the sun or even uh, the, the moon or, or a star per se. But rather, John is using this term light in a symbolic sense. And what is being communicated here is that God is holy, that God is absolute moral perfection. And, and so John says it positively first, God is light. Absolute moral perfection. But then he turns right around and he communicates it negatively. There is no darkness in him at all. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Again, this darkness is not something physical, but it's a symbol. A symbol for the moral nature of God. That he is absolutely 100% free from sin. Not one sin uh, in him or connected to him. Not a hint, not a shade of imperfection whatsoever. This is hammered home elsewhere in Scripture. In Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13, it talks about how God's eyes are too holy to even look upon evil. James 1 and verse 17 talks about how uh, there is no shadow of turning within him. God is absolutely perfect. This is the message. And it starts with God. A lot of the times when it comes to the gospel, we want to start with us and who we are. John, he begins with who God is. He is holy. He is light. In him is no darkness at all. Why does John do this? It's because he's establishing the standard whereby we are measured. And the standard is... It has to do with the issue of morality. Every issue of morality is settled at the throne of God. God is light. God is holy. No darkness in Him. And so everything comes back to Him. He is the measure whereby everything else is measured. Everything else is determined according to Him. You know, we need standards. We do. We have a whole department devoted to them in the U.S. government the Department of Measures and Standards. And they hold the standard whereby all other standards are measured. There are 12 inches to a foot, and it's always that way. 
there are 128 ounces to a gallon. It's always that way. And if we have a foot, we can go to the Department of Measures and Standards and determine, yes, this is a foot. Or, no, this is actually coming up short, or it's too long, or here's a gallon. No, it's actually, it's not enough. You only have 120 ounces there. Or you have 130, it's too many. We need those standards. Because otherwise, we'd have chaos, right? Uh, my foot, well, it's, uh, it's, it's bigger than maybe your foot. Or it's not as big as some of yours, right? And quite frankly, you know, my foot is my foot. I, I like mine because it's mine, right? I don't know about yours. Let's use mine. Let's not use yours, right? And everything kind of becomes relative and negotiable. And John is establishing right at the beginning, no, there is no negotiation here. God is the standard, period, full stop. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is the standard of perfection. And everything else and everyone else must be measured by that. Verse 6 begins with the phrase, if we say. And this is John's catchphrase, if you will for exposing religious error. He'll use it here in verse 6. He uses it again in verse 8, verse 10. It's going to show up again as we get deeper into the book. If we say. And apparently there were those who were saying this. Uh, And so John takes to task a religious error. What religious error does he have in mind here when he says, if we say we have fellowship with him, with God. Remember, he's talking about God who is light, absolute moral perfection. If we say we have fellowship with Him, but we're walking in darkness? We're walking in moral imperfection? He says, we lie. We don't practice the truth. The religious error that John is exposing here is uh, the, the one who says there is no standard. The one who, uh, the big word for it last week was antinomianism. The antinomian who was the outlaw, the anti-law person. They were opposed to the law of God. He's essentially saying, there's, there's no standard. Uh, it's all the only income free. I can do whatever I want, and still I'm still good with God. Even though my life is all caught up in all kinds of moral evil and sin and rebellion, even to God's law. The antinomian is the one who says, you know, God, sin's not really that big a deal with God. Will God really punish us for finite mistakes that we commit here in this short life that we have? Will He really punish for all eternity? You know, our, our mistakes, our mess-ups. And already, the language that's used there betrays a low view of sin. A view of sin that is not biblical, that is not in keeping with the standard and what God has revealed. You see, again, the, the phrase finite mistakes. That shows that we don't take sin seriously. Sin is not just a, a finite mistake, a, a finite mess up. Just, you know, uh, uh, sin is, is an offense against a holy, perfect, infinite God. And I think I can show this to you very simply. You know, if you, uh, if you were to walk up to someone not advocating this. It's merely an illustration, right? Well, let's say I, I were to walk up here to, to Eric. I slapped him in the face. That'd be a bad thing, right? But 
he might be able to press charges against me for that. I don't know. But, I mean, the penalty wouldn't be that severe, right? If I were to walk into the White House and somehow I made my way to President Joe Biden and I slapped him in the face, I may not be walking out of there, right? Why is that? The punishment is dependent upon the person. Eric, he's, he's not the president. My brother wouldn't want to strike him, right? Presidents, I mean, whether you agree with him or not, he's, he holds the office. Now amplify that by infinity and times it by eternity, and we're starting to get close to God. Sin is a slap in the face of God. God Almighty, the infinite, perfect, holy, sinless, eternal God. It is an act of rebellion against Him. Get this finite mistake out of the way. This is an infinite sin committed against a crime against God, the cosmic sovereign ruler of the universe. You breathe His air. You live on His planet. And you say, I don't want your way. Sin is a grievous infinite evil and that is why it is punished eternally because of who it's committed against oh yes we we can sin against other people we can sin against ourselves but ultimately and finally sin is committed against god that's why sin is so heinous and that's why the lie here is i can go and do whatever i want i can sin all the sin that i want and still be good with god no you can't no you can't And by the way, we need to emphasize this here. Number one, how can you claim to have fellowship with God who is light while there's no darkness in him and there's all kinds of darkness in you? You can't, that, that doesn't work. Second, we need to emphasize also the nature of the walk. You see, the walk here is a career. It's a settled practice. This isn't just a one-off thing. Don't get it twisted, right? And we'll, we'll talk about this more in, in verse 7 here, about the Christian life as we go along. But the walk here, it has definite characteristics. It, it, has, uh, it has continuity. It's an ongoing thing. It's a present tense thing. Uh, the walk has direction. This particular walk in verse 6 is in darkness versus a walk which is in the light in verse 7. Uh, it has progression. Darkness leads to more darkness. Lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. This is, uh, this is John echoing Paul in Romans 6. It gets worse. It doesn't get better, contrary to contemporary worldly wisdom. The walk in the light, righteousness leads to more righteousness. And it gets better and better. Sweeter as the years go by, as one of our hymns says. A walk has destiny. A walk in the darkness, the destiny is eternity away from God, hell. A walk in the light, that destiny is Godward toward heaven with Him forever. The walk also uh, denotes separation. The longer we walk in the light, the further behind us darkness gets, the less we want darkness. 
the more we want light. Walk in the darkness, you can, you can sin to such a point that you never want the light again. All you want is darkness, and all you love is darkness. There's companionship. Whichever direction you're walking, you have companions. There are those who love darkness with you, and they will give approval to you as, as you continue your steady march toward eternity away from God. Those, when you walk in the light, you have companionship with all the other light walkers, your brothers and sisters in Christ. All of this, again, these are definite characteristics of the walk. And both of these, notice there's only two directions. There's not a third direction, you know, a walk in the blurg, whatever blurg is, right? There's walk in darkness and there's walk in light. How's your walk? How's your walk, my friend? How's your walk, my brother, my sister? To claim fellowship with God means nothing without a proper walk. Or, I guess the preacher way of saying it, um, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk, right? Does your walk match your talk? And now we have the contrast in verse 7. <clears throat> but, a very strong contrast here. John is, is uh, drawing a definitive line in the sand. And he is, he's already exposed the error of one who would claim to walk in darkness while claiming fellowship with God. That's a lie. You don't practice the truth. And now here, in connection with that and in contrast to it, he presents a walk in the light. And the walk, just as the walk with the darkness, so the walk with the light has all those things that we talked about. Continuity and progression and direction and destiny and companionship and all those things. So also the walk in the light. And there's also condition. But if... Uh, one preacher once talked about uh, how uh, he took a, uh, a copy of the New Testament. And every time he came across the word if, he circled it in red ink. And by the end of it, he was seeing spots. There were so many ifs, so many conditional statements, and that's what we have here. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, uh, the he here is... Of course, God, He is in the light, and He Himself is light. And this, is, uh, this, is, this has to do with imitation for, on our part. Uh, we aim to walk in the light. We are those who acknowledge the standard that God is light. And if I would have fellowship with Him, I must make it my aim, my goal, in everything that I do in my life to live up to His standard if we do this, walk in the light as He is in the light, notice we have fellowship. And there's your connection back to what we talked about last week in verses 1 through 4. That key word, fellowship. The sharing of common objects. Here we share one another. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. Another word for fellowship we talked about last week, communion. We commune with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. All those things we talked about last week. That's all, that's all uh, coming to bear on this as well. Fellowship with one another. Who's the one? Who's the other? Well, the one is God, and the other is us. We have this uh, vertical fellowship. We have communion with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We love light. And so, of course, we're going to walk in the light. 
Because it's in the light where He is. Because He Himself is the light. Fellowship with one another. And indeed, God is light. There's no darkness in Him. We can't claim fellowship with Him. With anything less than perfection. Of course, that only serves to show us that we know our own shortcomings. We know our own sin. We know that while He is light, I'm darkness. While He is life, I'm, I'm death. While He is holy, I, I'm a sinner. How can I have fellowship with a, a perfect, absolutely holy being? The God who is absolutely perfect. How can I possibly have fellowship with Him? Because I know. I know my own sin. You know your own sin. How can we possibly have fellowship? The answer is in the text. The blood of His Son, Jesus, cleanses us from some of our sin. Oh, no. Most of our sin? A good portion of it? 99%? And, and his blood cleanses us of all of our sin. Every, if all of our sin is forgiven, cleansed, purified by the blood of Jesus, how much remains? Zero, none, goose egg, it's all gone. Praise God. It's all gone. Every last bit of it, every sin we've ever sinned, every act of rebellion, it's all gone. This is the gospel. That It's not that he did 99% and we do 1%. He did everything. We contributed nothing but our sinful selves. And we put our faith and our trust in God we believed and confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Holy Spirit brought new spiritual life to us. An exchange took place where the heart of stone was taken out and a heart of flesh was put in. And now we love the light. It's all because of Him. It's not about me, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And His blood, the blood that He shed on the cross. That's what the blood points to, by the way, is the cross. The cross is our lifeline. Sin is death, but the cross brings us life through the death of Christ. The blood of His Son, Jesus, cleanses. This is a present tense verb. What does that mean? It means it's ongoing. It means it's continuous. It means it doesn't stop. The blood of Christ didn't just wash you at the baptistry, and now it's all dependent upon you to hold this thing together. Heresy. The blood of Jesus didn't stop at the baptistry. It keeps on cleansing us. I know we've, we tried to illustrate this with, with illustrations. The one that comes to my mind is uh, the windshield wiper. When you put it on, intermittent wiping, right? You just click the thing and it just ee -ee every now and again, right? When it's raining outside. And I don't like that one. You know why? Because it allows the sin to build up. That's not the way this works. It's continual. It's ongoing. It's, it's a waterfall of His blood that just keeps on. It doesn't stop cleansing. It just keeps on cleansing. And the sin never touches the record book. Look, uh, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. John includes himself in that. This is how we know that the walk in the light is not a sinless walk. We do sin. If we say we don't, we deceive ourselves. Truth is not in us. 
John includes himself in that. Don't get it twisted to verse 1, and we'll look at this in more detail next week. I'm writing so that you don't sin, that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, and we do, John, pastoral, an elder in the church, he knows. A fellow human being, he knows that we struggle against the world and the flesh and the devil. It's not a sinless walk. And by the way, if it were a sinless walk, why do we need the blood of Jesus constantly cleanses of our sin? It doesn't make sense. We still fall short. We all sin and we fall short of the glory of God. But the blood of Jesus makes sure that 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 sin never touches the record book. And the Father says to us, when we come, and we do, we confess our sin. Father, I've fallen short and I've done this and I, I, I hate this and I don't want to do it. And you know what the Father says? And by the way, it may be a sin that you've, you've been struggling with for a long time. And ah, you blew it again. I, I know I shouldn't do it, but I did it again. And Father, and you know what the Father says? The Father says, child, I don't think we've talked about this before. You're forgiven. Keep walking. And our, the Bible says that an, our omniscient God remembers our sins no more. It's all gone. This is the gospel. I'm going to tell you right now, I haven't always believed this. I've been raised in the churches of Christ my whole life. But this, I didn't know this until I was almost 20 years old. I didn't know just how good the good news was. You see, I thought, picture in the theater of your mind, if you will, I thought that our Christian walk was like a balance beam. A razor-thin balance beam. And, and I'm here walking in the light as best I can, and it's all dependent upon me. And, and when I sin, I fall off one side of that balance beam, and I have to beg and pray and plead, and God, you know, just put me, and He would put me back on the balance beam just so I could fall off the other side. And I had this hiccup-type relationship with God. Where I'm in the light and then I'm out of the light. I'm in fellowship and I'm out of the fellowship. And that is not what John is presenting here. We have present tense. It's ongoing. It's continuous. It doesn't stop. We have fellowship with one another. Why? Jesus' blood keeps on cleansing us. And I hope you see just how good news, just how good the good news is. It is gooder than we could have imagined. When we sin, and we do, we are to confess our sins. It's right there in verse 9. Absolutely confess our sins. And we'll, we'll dig into this more next week. <clears throat> but when we sin... His blood is applied. The blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us so that that sin never reaches the record book. And while the Father can look upon us and we have fellowship with Him, and it's, not, it's, it's uninterrupted. But if, are you walking in the light, my friend? 
Have you begun this walk? Are you enjoying it? Only you can answer that in your heart of hearts this morning. My brother, my sister, you've heard the gospel. And it's better than we could have possibly imagined. But we still are called to evaluate our walk. That when the light exposes our darkness, that we turn from that. These are the challenges as well as the blessings that go along with the Christian gospel. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And I believe this is the highest motivation for living the Christian life, my brothers and my sisters. The realization that the Father sent the Son into the world. The Son dies on the cross, not for His own sins, for your sins and mine, in our place on the cross. This is the highest motivation that the the Father and the Son have sent the Spirit into the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And that that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, has brought new spiritual life to us. The highest motivation is what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have done on our behalf and what they continue to do as we aim to live life with God. Fellowship. Communion with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, in in a few moments, we'll gather around the table together where Christ the Son is host, but where we, fellow light walkers, those who have been washed and are, are continued to, we continue to be washed in the blood, cleansed by our, uh, from our sins by His blood. We gather around and we have fellowship. Again, and I, I hope you don't misunderstand, sin, I've tried to emphasize, it is a grievous, heinous thing. We should hate and we must hate sin. But in t- and until sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet to you. And when we know just how, how evil and, and wrong sin is, then we begin to grasp and we taste the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. And how the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross keeps on cleansing us. This, this is the time-bending aspect of this as well. How what Christ did on the cross all those years ago is still impacting and affecting me and you and all of us. And so with this high motivation and the high calling of the gospel, brothers and sisters, let us aim to live lives of holiness, mortifying the flesh, putting to death sin, and living for God with all the strength that He provides by His Spirit within us. Let us pray. You are glorious, holy God. Father God, we we thank you that you have sent Jesus Christ, your Son, into the world. And we are grateful that he died in our place on the cross and shed his blood so that we might have the forgiveness of our sins. And we do. All of our sins washed away. 
We thank you for sending the Spirit into our lives to enlighten our minds so that we can see and hear all of the marvelous and good things in the gospel. We pray that by the Spirit you would continue to awaken new affections for light and life and holiness. Awaken new levels of fellowship and communion with you. And would continue to promote within us a holy hatred of sin and wickedness and iniquity and transgression. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and more shall be. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.